Welcome to our latest uh, episode of Opening the Box of Knowledge. I'm Chakya Ish, Richard Peterson. Uh, this week, uh, our brother Kachung is on the road, literally in the air, on his way back from his whirlwind tour with the band Bumyao. I'm here with uh, the amazing Sam. Yo! Hey, Sam. This week, uh, we had a really amazing opportunity to have a conversation with our new congressman-elect, Mary Patola. And what a great conversation it was. I, I was talking to Kachung earlier, and he was just ecstatic. He's like, what a great get. I'm sorry I can't be there. He he said, we've been pushing her on the stage and all of our our performances. He said they were actually on stage and, and got done with the performance when they heard that she uh, came out uh, victorious for the uh, special election. So sorry that Kachung couldn't be here, but I think you all are going to really enjoy this conversation. Even I, who've been a um, stalwart supporter of Mary's from day one was really impressed and actually shocked about some of the things she shared today. Um, you know, she really doesn't hold back and talks about the things that I think matter to all Alaskans. And, you know, unabashedly, I will continue to support her in my personal life. I think Mary is uh, exactly the kind of elected leader that we need in this age of polarized politics. She's she's not about extreme left or extreme right. She's about moving Alaska forward. So take a listen. Tell us how you feel about it. Let us know. We appreciate the ratings and the reviews. Uh, give us feedback because I think each week we're going to continue just to, um, you know, move forward and move uh, an improvement every time. So thanks for joining us. Welcome back to our probably my most exciting episode of Opening the Box of Knowledge. And, you know, our podcast is about lifting up indigenous people, about sharing all the good things that are going on uh, in our world. One of those that's just something that's both personal, exciting to me, but has not just been about Alaska the last week, but national news and that is the election of Mary Patola, who has uh, run for office of congressperson for Alaska. Alaska only gets one congressperson. So she uh, is Alaska Native. She ran on an incredible platform and is now congresswoman-elect for all of Alaska. And Mary, we're so excited. I'm just, we have to take a second just to celebrate you and your family. Um, to me, this was a big win for all of Alaska. So congratulations and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Richard. No, it's quite an honor. It's it's a very humbling distinction. And um, I it is just a tremendous honor to have been elected to fulfill the remainder of Congressman Young's term. He was in office for 49 years and really left a tremendous legacy to Alaska of of working for all Alaskans and um, just having an open door policy to any any person from Alaska. Yeah, I, I've had the privilege to work, uh, you know, for my communities and, and now on a broader sense and always worked with Don and 
Well, in, in on a national platform, he could be kind of polarizing, quite honestly. But, you know, you could go into his office and he was, you know, just have those conversations. We would talk about, you know, fishing and and the things that mattered. And then and then at the end of the meeting, you say, OK, well, what were you here for and what do you want and what can I do for you? Yeah, I, I, I always appreciated that about him. Mary. Um, I've known you for quite a number of years. I actually met you when you were Representative Patola in the State House. So you've you've lived a life of servitude for Alaska, right? Yeah, you know, and I think for a lot of us who grow up in a small village, that is just par for the course. We're very community-minded. We're about community wellness. And um, I think for a lot of folks from villages, it's just second nature to, to work on behalf of your people and um, go, you know, the other funny thing is it, it was brought to my attention from a friend of mine who actually moved to Alaska from Colorado. She had been coming to a lot of our Kuskokwim River Intertribal Fish Commission meetings. And her observation was that Alaska natives really grow up in a meeting atmosphere. We as children go to meetings um and, and I don't think we even think of them as meetings um, because it's just such an integral part of the way that we have our communities. And in the YK Delta region, it was the Guzgik. And in Southeast, it was the Longhouse. But there is just this um, very ingrained um, aspect of coming together, talking things through, making consensus you know, talking about what our challenges are and our opportunities, and then figuring out a way that we can collaboratively work together. And I think that kind of upbringing and, you know, mindset and perspective lends itself very well to being in public service and public office. You know, absolutely. Uh, you said that and it resonated with me. I've been an elected leader since I was 19. So more than half my life now. And people always ask me, well, why and what made you do that? And the the funny thing is, is I, I never sought it. It kind of got thrust upon me, but it also seemed like just the right thing, natural thing to do, because I attended meetings as a toddler with my mother. You know, my mother was a, a leader. Uh, she served on our tribal health board for over 25 years mm -hmm. uh, locally, you know, so it just seemed natural to me that, well, I grew up in a meeting environment, so that's mm -hmm. what I'll, I'm going to be doing. And, you know, Mary, I've been a supporter of yours the minute you came out, because when I think of Mary Patola, I just think of somebody who wants to move forward for Alaska. You know, I saw that when you were at the State House. I saw that in your private work. You know, you really have been concerned about fisheries in Alaska. And Alaska has such a history of being the world leader in fisheries. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what you hope to accomplish there? Sure. Well, the type of abundance that we grew up with, um, it was just phenomenal. And the kind of ecological paradigm that we came up in in the 70s and 80s and 90s, abundance is kind of an understatement. <clears throat> you know, I just remember when I started fishing on the Kuskokwim, <clears throat> on, on my way to our fishing spot, the lower unit of the outboard would hit fish. There were, the river was just so full of fish and there were so many schools of fish and they were so enormous. 
that you couldn't help but accidentally hit one with your outboard motor. And then having memories of setting um, a full shackle gill net and doing a drift for five minutes, and then you realize your net is going to sink and you don't even have time to pick the fish as you're pulling it in. So then you're spending hours picking 200 chums out of a net, um, you know, and, and everybody has this story who grew up on the Cuscoquim, your accidental 200 chums. Um, and now we're at the point on the Cuscoquim and in, in our, on our rivers in Western Alaska, where, you know, where our, my husband and I, our biggest fear had been, I hope our set net doesn't have too many fish. I We hope that we don't have so many fish, we can't cut them um, together in one day. Um, and now the last 13 years, it's been, I hope we have enough to put away for the winter. I mean, we're talking single digit fish. And when we started having this change in our paradigm and our fish returns, I would go and check the set net and there'd be eight fish. And we wondered, you know, if somebody, if we had set the net wrong, if somebody was poaching our net, but that's, that was the same catches that everybody else was getting. So when you go from worrying your net's going to sink, worrying your boat's going to sink to single digit numbers, it's very terrifying. And to think that this happened in, in a short lifetime, this happened in 20 years. So that's where I'm coming from in terms of um, salmon and Bering Sea ecosystem health. It's just seeing with my own eyes this extreme and dramatic reduction in in our resources. Yeah, you and I are real close in age. You're you're uh, just a couple of years older than I am, and here in Southeast, that's my experience as well. I grew up. I, I tell people when I was a kid, we would fish for king salmon right off the dock. You know, we didn't have to go out in the outer waters for them. They were right there. You catch 60, 70 pound kings. And now if you caught a 40 pound king, it would make the news. You yeah. know, and that's if you ever catch one. Yeah. So it's concerning. And, you know, as you know, I hate the word subsistence, of course, mm -hmm. as a native, it's our way of life. But I think when you see, you know, our way of life is no joke. You know, it's a lot of work. It's actually mm -hmm. expensive, but mm -hmm. I think we're, we should be um, kind of that, uh, what was the bird in the mine shaft, right? Where yeah, if, the if canary you, in the coal mine, yes. Right, and so if we're the indicator, I think the state, the whole state should be concerned, not only just for rural Alaska, which of course we should be, that's where our hearts are, but I think it's an indicator of the economy for Alaska. I think it's an indicator of the future of Alaska if we don't do something now. And you really <clears throat> um, stood out as a candidate for me when I already supported you. But it was like every day your your new priorities would come out and it was like you were singing to my heart because you were saying things I don't hear leaders saying, like talking about, you know, the bycatch and trawlers. So you know something about that, right? Well, that's the work that we've been focused on <clears throat> on the at the Cuscoquim River Intertribal Fish Commission and our coalitions with Coeric and Tanana Chiefs Conference. 
and, um, you know, just trying to um, build a coalition. And, and we were successful in, in getting 118 tribes from the Yukon, the Kuskokwim and Norton Sound together. And we, we have made appeals to the North Pacific Fisheries Management Council because what we've seen is that those factory trawlers, those huge in that industrial fishing uh, complex out there, they're capturing and discarding metric tons of juvenile salmon, juvenile halibut, and juvenile crab. And 30 years of doing that has shown us that um, it's not sustainable. And you can't throw out metric tons of salmon, halibut, and crab without it catching up to you. Yeah. You know, in our region, uh, I, I don't know if you know Rob Sanderson Jr. Mm -hmm. he, he serves uh, with me and we've worked together. And I, I can tell you 15, 20 years ago, he kept saying, nobody's talking about the real issue here. And it's these trawlers. And, you know, he would send me links and videos. And I honestly didn't understand either. I had no idea. You know, my worldview was commercial fishing locally, not not these. Yeah trawlers that set nets that are you know just miles and miles long and kill everything in their path you know for one species of fish that they're trying to get yeah well and the part that gets me is we're down to single digit numbers of salmon that we're able to put on the table and actually it's not even that it's zero salmon that the yukon has been allowed to harvest our silver run was um restricted to the point of being closed. Um, and we have never had our silvers closed before. And usually the silver run is the run where, you know, for households where they might've had a, a motor that had mechanical problems or they had a medical issue or they couldn't get time off work in putting up kings and chums and reds, silvers, or if you weren't able to catch enough silvers or kings, uh, reds and chums, you could count on silvers for pressure cooking and right. um, maybe doing some kippered fish that, you know, smoke a day, um, dry a day, smoke a day, and then pressure cook it. But now we can't even fish for silvers. And this is just, um, it's piling on and it's 13 years of not, of having only 20% of our king salmon need. And then the reds are abundant, but they run with kings and chums. Our chums have fallen off the map and they're heavily restricted. So when you have these mixed stock fisheries and two have conservation concerns, you just are not going to be allowed to fish for that third species, even if it is in abundance. And then now to have silvers so terribly restricted, I'm not really sure what we're expected to eat on, on the Cuscoquim anyway. We have uh, Fish and Game has recorded through the Department of Fish and Game postseason surveys. They've shown that people on the Cuscoquim harvest over 350 pounds of, of fish a year per person. That's for every man, woman, and child. How do you backfill that wild and easily accessible, you don't, you know, in when we were able to harvest those things, you didn't need a lot of gas. It, it it wasn't a ton of overhead. Yes, it's very expensive to make sure that you have a boat and a motor and a net. Those things are expensive. But if you don't need a lot of gas and you already have those things, um, it, it is affordable somewhat to live to live in the bush. And and it's not even a matter of affordability or the economy. The other aspect that um, is the real heartbreaker is 
fish camp is really where most families exercised that, um, you know, working together as an enterprise where every person in the family is a critical piece of the operation. Uh, one year, my 12 year old was the most important person in our family, in our, in our fish camp, because he sat with the set net and made sure that nobody was poaching our fish. So the reason we had any fish was because he and his friends camped by the set net. And that was actually three years in a row. Another year, we had to put up fish so late that um, the blue flies were laying maggots on them. And my father and I, with our aged eyes, weren't seeing all the maggots that were there. So my nine-year-old and 11-year-old, with their very keen eyesight, were able to help us make sure that our dry fish weren't ruined from maggots. So, it, you know, just having the ability to have a fish camp where everyone is needed and you learn that work ethic and that sense of cooperation and, you know, young people really being part of putting food on the table and keeping the household going. Those are really important things that our kids in Alaska need to keep learning. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I grew up the same way. My whole family, you know, job, whatever, everything got put on hold to go fish. Right. And and you don't see that now. And my dad struggles to even find a crew because people are like, oh, I, I got to work. And and that's important, too. But he's like, you know, that's when you take the time off and do it. And when I was five, six years old, I was the one sliming and scaling fish. You know, we all had our role. I would help wash, you know, the cans and all those things. So it, and it really taught the family values and that communal you know way you're, you're so right it's expensive to have a boat and a net but you know in our community in Kisan, you know we would share you know we'd go mm -hmm. out as a group you know we would all share the net share the cost and, and that's so important and you look at right now the cost of goods the cost of shipping anywhere in Alaska let alone rural Alaska we're seeing prices just skyrocket but Mary, one of the things, so you had this campaign and you, you got to travel Alaska. Can I ask you, what, what did you hear in Alaska? What's good? What's working? What, what's not? What, what were you kind of just maybe shocked to find out? Well, the, one of the things that I found interesting in talking with Alaskans are how many Alaskans are deeply concerned about the preservation of our democracy. Seeing what happened on January 6th was very disconcerting to a lot of Alaskans, and that was very top of mind for so many phone calls and interactions I had with people. It was the first thing they talked about was the preservation of our democracy. And of course, that's something that uh, I'm deeply interested in and committed to, but I was really interested and uh, relieved to find out how many other Alaskans are very concerned about that. Um, of course, the fish issue is a very unifying theme throughout Alaska. We are all connected to the land. We're all, every region of the state, our identity is connected to fish and the marine ecosystem. I mean, I know that the Inupaks, they um, primarily, one of their biggest components of their subsistence life is whale and seal. But that's also, you know, it, it, and those are marine mammals, but 
that's also part of the marine ecosystem. And and one of our favorite trading partners is Charlie Brower from Barrow. And he we trade whale with for um we usually try to do about 30 salmon um and trade with him. And so everyone across the state has this relationship with salmon, whether it's through trade or buying it at the store or putting it up yourself. And what Alaskan doesn't love to go fishing? So anyway, that was another really unifying theme. Um, housing is a huge issue throughout the state. I know Anchorage, Anchorage is a very different community than the one that I used to come to as a child. We didn't see homelessness the way we see it now. And, and that's something you see throughout the United States. Um, and and it's a and it's a concern even in our smallest villages, making sure that families have houses. And it's so hard for young families starting out to be able to find their own place. And for me as a mom, I realized that my primary job as a mom is to make sure that my kids have a home that's safe, peaceful, and loving. And if you can't find a place to stay, then you're really you know, you can put yourself in compromising situations if you have to um, move in with other families um, and 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 you don't have control of your environment that your kids are in. So housing is a huge issue. And of course, inflation. In, we pay the highest prices in the nation for our energy, for all of our food, um, that we buy all of our commodities. And to see those things go up by nine percent or eight and a half percent, even that's and and then the transportation costs that are that are added to those things because of fuel costs, and then automobiles being thirty percent more, all of these things are really affecting every single Alaskan household, and we're all going backwards every month now. Yeah, you you know one of the things that I've really been um, just really full of pride in with you is politics can be so polarized, right? It's the extreme left, the extreme right. And when I looked at your platform and the things that you share, you know, I, I know you, you're a Democrat and you ran as a Democrat, but nothing to me said Democrat or Republican. It said Alaskan, you know, that's, that's, I, I'm one of those, I, I'm trying to be more in the center and I want to work yeah. with people that move Alaska forward. And, you know, you talk about the fear for democracy and I hear, oh, Alaska is a red state. I don't know that. I mean, I think it is, but I, I think more people are just Alaskans. We, we, yeah. we are here because we love our way of life. People come here for to enjoy that way of life. And so I'm, I'm you know, unabashedly just proud of you. And I'm going to support you and I'm going to continue to support you because you're in a really interesting position because you had to run all out and against, you know, some pretty strong opposition and uh, you did it the right way. I, I, I just want to tell you how proud I am of that, that you didn't go low ever. You just stuck to Alaska and Alaskan issues. And um, I'm forever grateful for that because I'm so tired of politics but um, you're filling the remainder of the seat for Don Young, which is just a few months. And then you have to yeah. run again in November. Um, yeah. So, of course, I'm going to be beating the drum. Get out the vote. Get out the vote for Mary. But what's that look like for you? What you know, and filling this term and then having to already focus on running again. 
Yeah, well, it's double duty now. We're definitely multitasking. We're working hard at standing up Congressman Young's congressional office and um, or, you know, the House office. Alaska only has three delegates, two in the Senate and then just one in the House. So having Don's seat empty since March has really left a tremendous void in our congressional delegation. And so my first objective is to help bring stability back to the the uh, delegation. And I really appreciated you letting me take a phone call from Den- Senator Dan Sullivan. Um, and it's, so I de- definitely am multitasking right now and doing my best to make sure that uh, constituent services are back up and running. And we are pulling together a good team of Alaskans to to serve in that office. And then also making sure I'm not getting distracted and, and making sure I'm staying on track for November, because that is the seat that we were all really running for is this next two-year slot. And it is really important for me to minimize the partisanship because I think it has become crippling and, and it's self-destructive. Um, you know, to one of the things that I, I've heard recently is language about, you know, one party, they're ruining America or tearing America down, or these people are our enemies. And we actually have formidable, substantial national enemies at this point. We've seen foreign aggression from Russia. We've seen foreign aggression from China. There's discussion about Russia and Iran collaborating on nuclear weapons for Iran. These are serious threats. And as Americans, we can't afford to be fighting with each other. We have to look at each other and say, you are my team member. You are my community member. We're in this together. And that's what I really want to work on. And I mean, it would be just as silly as in the Clinkett culture, you know, there's two main moieties, the Ravens and the Eagles, and that was designed to bring balance. And I think that we have a two-party system designed to help bring balance. But if you're attacking each other to the point where there's there's just no movement whatsoever. That's not really balance either. And 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 you know, could you imagine the Ravens calling the Eagles their enemies, or the Eagles calling the Ravens? It's just, it's self defeating. And there's just so much more to gain from Americans looking at each other as Americans and our friends and our neighbors and our family and what's good for you is good for me. And we're all in this together. That is much more what we need to be talking about at this point. Yeah, you're you're singing to my heart. And, you know, you're so right about that, uh, the balance. You know, I, I've been around long enough to remember, you know, Senator Ted Stevens. And, you know, he was a strong Republican. But, you know, I always remembered one of his best friends was Senator Anyway, you know, mm-hmm. and across the aisle and they got things done for, you know, the 49th and 50th state who were kind of, you know, always behind the rest of the United States in the politics and, and fighting for, right? And they did that. And I and I think that's um, what's needed today is let's get rid of the extremes on both sides of that aisle. Let's get back to where we're just left or right of center and move us forward. And I'm so damn proud of you because that's what I see and feel from you. 
There, there's a weird phenomena I, I noticed. So you turned 49 this year. You ran for um, <laughs> the seat of the 49th state to replace the person who sat there for 49. So I'm not necessarily somebody who believes in omens and this and that, but I'm going to take this as a good omen. Right now, you are in alignment to carry our state forward, Mary. And Well, I really appreciate that. And it's funny you say that because Senator Sullivan and I, like I said, we just were able to chat and he was chuckling that when he won in 2014 and 2020, um, he received that news on his birthday. Oh. So it, it's just, it's, you know, and there's something really great and um it just, it feels like good luck. And, and, and I, that the 49 uh, thing hasn't escaped me either. I, I just think there's a lot of um, serendipity in that or something. Right. Well, you know, as a, our new Congresswoman elect, you know, you have all of Alaska to worry about myself. Uh, I, as an Alaska native and just so proud of you, but one of the things that I've really admired in all of this is you have the eye on all of Alaska. You're you're very proud of your culture and your history, which gives you kind of that real um, grounding in Alaska. But you understand in a more holistic way that we all have to care for each other and and uh, you want to see a healthy uh, state for, you know, all of us. I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I say that too, healthy tribes make healthy communities. And when I focus the healthy communities, everybody, we're all a part of this and pulling mm -hmm. together, you know, what, what have you had to say about that when asked? Well, you know, the other thing I, I don't want to neglect to mention is I, I am Yupik and I'm very, very proud of that, but I'm also Caucasian. My dad is a German American from Nebraska. I was heavily influenced by my Caucasian family. They spent a lot of time raising me and loving me. And, and I do see the universal values between, you know, farm farmers in Nebraska, Lutherans, you know, German Americans, and people who live on the land in Western Alaska. We we all have our lives centered around food and harvesting food and sharing it with family and um not just survival, but really um, looking ahead and figuring out how how we can best thrive together. Um, and so, you know, and the other piece is, uh, it is, you know, Alaska Natives have felt disenfranchised for a while, but we are now at a place in American society where Caucasians are feeling disenfranchised. And that is a very real and legitimate feeling that they have. And I think that that is one of the expressions that I see come out of the folks who are supporters of Donald Trump and Sarah Palin is this real feeling of disenfranchisement. And that, you you know, you can't just disregard that and you can't argue with that. That is a real authentic feeling. And it shows me that universally in America, we are feeling like we are disenfranchised and we're not part of a bigger thing. And, you know, when I look at the terrible epidemic of gun violence across our nation, one of the common denominators in all of those incidences is a perpetrator who feels extreme isolation. And this 
and it's an epidemic of extreme isolation, I think, with social media. I think the way that we as Americans are not eating together, we're not talking to each other, we're not talking to within our families. Um, there have been studies, and it's very disconcerting. There's a national eat with your family day, like national sit down with your family and eat as a family day in America. That should be every day. Um, we We... You know, and and I'm just as guilty of this as anybody. And my husband and and our kids laugh about it. We'll all be in the same house and texting each other. Yeah. And what is that? You know, and that shows me how easy it is to have these very siloed, isolated lives. And we all have to make a very concerted, overt effort to get away from that. We've got to do more with our kids. There is no reason on earth any American student should graduate from high school not having had one friend, not feeling seen by anybody. Um, we've got to do some course correction here ac across the nation from the smallest villages to the biggest cities. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the polarization that's happening is you can sit at home on social media and, of course, you know, algorithms start building towards yep. what your interests are. And then you get you end up getting so extreme. And, mm -hmm. of course, as Alaskans, you know, when we start talking guns and people get pretty defensive because, oh, they're coming for our guns. Uh, well, you know, and and I, I, I really want to be clear that um, guns are a piece of it. But if you look at the, the perpetrators of these gun violent acts, it's not young people who grew up hunting. Because if you are a child who's taken hunting, as I have been, that is really an expression of love. That's some an older person wanting to spend time with you, wanting to teach you things, wanting to share values. And, and you do see the impacts of what that machinery can do, what that equipment can do. And, um, you know, I just, I don't necessarily think that um, we, that it's a matter of taking back people's guns. I don't know what the specific solution is, but the problem is we don't have anyone at the table. We've got moms demanding action, who I do understand and sympathize with. I'm a mom and a grandma, and I'm very concerned about the fact that these terrible acts are happening in churches, in schools, at uh, patriotic parades, in airports. Um, but on the other hand, I understand that um, we have to have the ability, in, if we're going to really practice food security in rural Alaska, that means predator control. That means wolf control. And most wolf hunting happens in the wintertime. And you need an automatic weapon with at least six bullets in the chamber. And the good thing about AR-15s is they are military grade and the technology does allow hunters to use that weapon in cold conditions and with a lot of moisture. And unless you have an AR-15 that is designed to operate in the cold, moist temperatures with, with six in the chamber, you're not going to be able to, to handle the wolves out there. And then you're not going to have caribou and moose that all of our families depend on. You bring such a, a amazing insight to this that I honestly hear such extremities, extremities on this that I hadn't heard that before. And of course, as, as somebody who grew up hunting, it all rang true with me because I understand that.
-hmm. I don't know that we've ever had somebody on either side of the aisle who could articulate what you just did. You well, and wolves are a problem in Alaska. There are kids that are getting, um, that can't stand at the bus stop without threats of wolves. Or, you know, we heard things on APRN recently, Alaska Public Radio Network recently about a woman on the beach and her dogs protected her from attacking wolves. And I think that, you know, if we have bears that are starving because there's no fish and there's no berries, they are going to become more aggressive. And you know, having weapons, um, it's it's not necessarily protection the way that we hear the discussion framed in the lower 48, right. but it is life and death. Yeah. No, I, I think you bring a perspective that's desperately needed. And, and I hope that um, folks give you the opportunity. And if they don't, I know you're just going to take it. But you're to, to put that out there and share that word because they need to hear that and understand it. I recently met with uh, a bunch of philanthropic funders, you know, uh, through Rasmussen Foundation, bringing their tour. And they asked me, well, what is something that we can do to really make a difference? And I said, well, this is the right thing because you have to show up. You have to see mm -hmm. for yourself, taste, hear, smell, feel for yourself what all these things mean. And our delegation's always done a pretty good job of bringing other elected officials to Alaska out to see it. Both And, and I think uh, Senators Murkowski and Sullivan do a really good job of that now. But boy, I don't think anybody has ever said it in a way that you just did. And uh, I think that's uh, another reason why Alaskans who, who might feel polarized and She's not my congresswoman and this and that. I hope they actually take the time to listen and hear and meet, touch, feel, see for themselves why you are absolutely what's needed right now for Alaska. And like I said, I'm unabashed about it. You have my support. We're going to be pushing hard for November because you need the time to share this message. And right now you really don't have the time. No, it's a very brief window. It's just a three week window on the house side coming up here in September. I'll be able to get sworn in on September 13th. And then it's three weeks of work. And then they break for, um, you know, I think campaigning, I'm sure it's designed to have a, a window so that folks can go back and defend their seats. Um, so yeah, it, it's a very tiny window to see if I can move the dial in any way for Alaska. I'm going to, I'm, I've been working on a very comprehensive list of really tiny asks all the way to very big asks of, of what are some things that Alaskans need. Um, and we'll see what we can do in three weeks, but um, I'm very optimistic because both Senator Sullivan and Senator Murkowski are very open and they've been extremely welcoming and you know they understand better than anybody how critical it is to have a team of three so i'm looking forward to working with them and really bringing home some wins together with them for alaska that's fantastic um you know november is so close around the corner is there anything that you want us to know or what can we do um you know 
Well, I'm just trying, I'm, I'll be looking very carefully at the results from this special election and see where the areas are that I need to concentrate on to make sure I'm reaching out to people and meeting them face to face. I don't think in Alaska, it works to campaign through TV commercials or mailers. You really, the, the best communication um, no matter what you're doing is face-to-face -face communication and person-to-person. -person. So you can ask your questions and get a true sense of, of a person's um, stand on things and um, how collaborative they really are. And, and it is, you know, I do think about the folks who don't think I represent them, who don't feel that I would do a good job um, advocating for their concerns. And I really want to get to know them better and hear more about what their concerns are, what their objectives are, and make sure that I am working for them. Even if they don't like me, even if they don't support me, I am still temporarily their congressperson and would love to be their congressperson, their congressman. I, I actually prefer congressman, just to let you know, just, yeah, okay. you know, in the same way I, I prefer fishermen, but I get caught, I catch myself, you know, just repeating these things. But um, no, I, I am very aware that um, uh, there there is a very divergent um, group of Alaskans and it's challenging to represent every single person, but I'm going to do everything in my power to be able to do that. And it's tough because any vote you take, you will inevitably anger 50% of the people. Yeah. Well, I, I, I read an article recently that's really inspired me. Uh, you know, leaders lead, they have to make decisions. 30% of the time, you're going to be wrong. And it's, you know, learning from that. And so, hey, I, I expect you're going to vote on things and push for things I don't agree with, right? You, you're never 100%. Well, maybe you, because so far I haven't heard anything I disagreed with. But, <laughs> but I'm Don't worry, you, there will be something. Who knows gonna, what it is? And when, you, when that day comes, I'm going to give you the grace because I know you have a big job and you need that support and you need to know your people are holding you up. And when I say your people, I mean Alaskans, that yeah. you can come home and know that we appreciate the hard work and sacrifice that you're doing. You know, people think elected officials as some glamorous lifestyle. It's endless meetings, endless conversations, running from one to another, getting on a plane, you know, all those things. And, and I just, you know, I, I think of uh, Representative Tiffany Zakolsky and I mm -hmm. said, you know, we just got to hold you up, you know, and, yep. and, and love you up and support you and, and let you know. And, and we do. And, you know, that job, holy, I, I can't even imagine. But just to finish up today, and thank you so much for your time, you know, I have to, I guess I'll consider this another endorsement, which I've done, but um, I've known and seen you in action for a long time from the state house uh, working with us. Um, you know, we shared a mentor in Albert Kukesh, the late mm -hmm. Senator Albert Kukesh. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you have been a service leader. So if there's anything you want to say to, to finish this out today, here's your opportunity, Mary. Well, I really appreciate you, President Richard. Um, there, you know, and, and it it isn't really a glamorous job. It really is trying to figure out a balance and, and, and working hard to represent everybody. And 
with any elected official, it's so funny because I feel like there's this um, very strange thought that a elected person has to be in total alignment with all of their constituents. And, you know, in my life, I'm not in a hundred percent alignment on every issue with my husband or my kids or my best friends or my coworkers. And I would never expect that. But, you know, for some reason we extend that to our elected leaders. And I think that's just a very unrealistic idea. And I do, I appreciate your comment about 30, you know, leaders getting getting it wrong 30% of the time. And I really believe in this idea of failing forward. And there are going to be things that I don't do perfectly and can do better and need to work on and lessons learned, but we're failing forward and, and learning as we go and not starting from a blank slate tomorrow. And um, that's something I've really tried to embrace. And I'm so glad you mentioned Tiffany Zilkowski and Albert Kukesh. And, you know, we're all related and um, it's just so important that we do hold each other up. And in this job, one of the things that I've really noticed is how easy it is for people, really well-intended people, to um, reach out to me with advice and suggestions. And it's often very nitpicky. You know, it's um, critiquing earrings or critiquing, you know, just the tiniest thing, or you shouldn't have used this word, you should use this word. So, you know, it, it, and it just shows to me how there's relevance in everything, even the minutia and how powerful words are and how powerful actions are. And just um, remembering um, to do my best, but also recognize we're all really failing forward. Yeah, what a, a really great concept. Mary, I know you're so busy and I know that you have more meetings today and um, again, thank you so much for taking uh, this time to, you know, open the box of knowledge with us. And uh, again, I stand uh, just in full support of you and anything we can do, let me know. And I'm going to be pushing to get out the vote. And, and you know, I always I, I am reluctant to tell people ever how to vote. I'll tell them how I vote, but just vote. Get out. There. Oh, yeah. It's so important to vote. And and um Across rural Alaska, rural rural voters really used to be kind of the deciding margin in a lot of statewide races. I think that's certainly going to be the case in this race. And across the nation and across Alaska, we've really lost a lot of our voter participation and our, our voter numbers have really gone down. And 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 I'm seeing a, a lot more interest in voting this time around. We had some record-breaking uh, numbers of folks show out show up for the special. We're seeing so many young people participating. And I know you were an elected leader at 19. I became an elected person at 24. And it shows that um, young people do care and there is a place at the table for them. And they're a critical part of our society. And I'm very, very glad that they're becoming more and more engaged and um, participating more and getting their friends out. But we just have to make sure everyone in our every community is registered to vote and feels that sense of inclusion and that their vote does matter because it does. Absolutely. Best of luck to you, Mary. And thanks again for joining us today. Thank you, President Richard. Uh, so good talking. It's always good talking with you, and I hope to be on again soon. Awesome. Thanks. Well, that was our uh, conversation with Congressman-elect Mary Patola. 
you know, I'm probably biased on this, but I think anybody who took a listen to that couldn't help but feel inspired and excited to have her as our congressman-elect. You know, it's a crazy situation, as we talked about, because she is filling the duration of the seat of a late congressman, Don Young. So she's got just a short window to stabilize the office there. And then she has to run again. And so, you know, I'm going to encourage everybody, whoever you vote for, get out and vote. Just vote. Get out the native vote. Get out your vote. Uh, if you're not registered to vote, there's plenty of resources that we can share in the notes here on how to register and, and how to participate because your voice truly matters. I, I can't stress that enough. You know, elections are coming down to the wire and really are decided by a few votes. And so if you want your voice heard, if you want the representation that matters, vote, get out the vote. And as always, I want to thank our incredible sponsors, uh, the Cedar Box and Hani Adventures. They're making this possible for us to share these conversations with, I think, really amazing people. And if you'd like to be a sponsor and, and uh, you're doing good things and something you'd like shared, reach out to us. I'm also going to be sharing soon uh, where you can donate if you'd like to. If you'd like to support in those ways, we'll put out information soon. Uh, Sam, our amazing sound guy, isn't just uh, the amazing engineer producer of this show, but he's developing merchandise for us. And, and in his uh, off time and his life, he does screen printing. So reach out to Sam Grubitz if, you, uh, if you're localized here in Southeast Alaska and you want somebody to work with you on screen printing. He's a graphic designer, so blow Sam up and support his business. But we're going to share ways that, that you can support. We're, we're not in this to make money, but, you know, we've been buying equipment and, and doing different things. So anyways, all those contributions will help. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation with uh, Congressman-elect uh, Patola. And, you know, I hope that you can give her an opportunity to tell you why you should be voting for her in November. And I think she did an incredible job of that. So thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you next time. <laughs>